So we're finding that some of our teachers are just, I mean, they were made for this, right? That this sort of this distance learning, they're brilliant at it. And I think some would say, you can have it. I need to get back into my classroom with my kids. So I think that one of the really interesting things that I don't know how this plays out is how do we talk about sort of the role of teacher as changing as well? Are we going to need a cadre of, you know, distance learning teaching experts, right? And that's all they do. That is Superintendent Susan Enfield from Highline Schools in the state of Washington. She is uh, a renowned superintendent, I think superintendent of the year, um, but uh, more than those accolades, it's, it's really just knowing her heart and her mind in terms of uh, how she leads. You know, I've always, I've always wondered why it is that in education we tend to look to uh, businesses and all kinds of other institutions for our inspiration um, and guidance. And yet I wonder why those other organizations aren't looking to educators for that. And Susan Enfield is definitely one of those educators that a lot of people in a lot of places could learn from. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy our conversation as we talk about a lot of things related to um, this particular moment in time and uh, as well as the impact of one of the very first states to be hit uh, extremely hard by COVID-19. Welcome everyone. This is another uh, exciting episode for me of my series of speaking with educators around the world on uh, what's happening with education and COVID-19. And I am joined today by Susan Enfield from uh, Washington State. And uh, Susan is like, I don't know all of the accolades, but I think she's been like superintendent of the year, best person ever, all of these probably ah. acc accolades, um, which I won't share, but she's a very well-respected uh, leader in education. And I'm so honored that she would uh, spend some time with me today telling uh, what's happening in her district. So Susan, give me a better introduction than I just gave you so that we know who you are, where you are, and what's happening. Sure. Well, the honor is mine, Dean. Thanks for the invitation. Great to uh, finally meet you face-to-face, -face, sort of, after following one another for the last few years. Uh, I am currently serving my eighth year as superintendent here in Highline. Highline is located in Burien, Washington, just south of Seattle. So actually, when you land at SeaTac uh, Airport, which I hope you'll be able to do at some point in the near future, you are actually landing in my district. So SeaTac is part of Highline. We represent four municipalities. Um, we describe our district as richly diverse. We serve approximately 18,000 students, uh, grades pre-K through 12, and we describe our students as brilliant, beautiful, and brimming with promise. And uh, we believe in student first language. We don't like reducing our students to labels. So I will tell you that of our roughly 18,000 students, approximately 13,000 rely on us for most, if not all of their meals. Uh, approximately just shy of 10,000 come to us speaking a language other than English. And we have over a hundred different languages spoken across the district. And um, a little over 3,000 of our students come to us uh, needing special services and um, approximately 1500 or so of our students um, are um, classified as homeless or in transition um, and qualify for McKinney Vento. So um, again, we like to focus on the assets of our district, but we are uh, in every respect an urban district who faces all of the challenges of trauma and poverty and crime that sadly our communities across the district face. 
Yeah. And, and obviously you, that, that represents a lot of things and keeps, and, and keeps you at the, at the fore of, of certainly the equity conversation, which is, Absolutely. is, is, a uh, is, uh, getting more and more attention as it should. Uh, I guess I'm wondering, first of all, you know, knowing that, that Washington state was essentially the first big state to get hit with coronavirus and, and things happened perhaps at a faster pace there than other places, Sort of, can you walk through a little bit of, uh, from a leadership perspective, you know, especially, you know, give me, give me sort of a sense of, of how things have gone from then till now in, in a sort of a condensed way and, and, sure. and response and reaction to all of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that for, you know, in February, when the stories started coming out um, around the outbreak that happened uh, north of, northeast of us uh, here in Highline, um, I think there there wasn't a lot of information forthcoming, and I don't think, well, I know, none of us envisioned that we would be where we are today back in February. But I will say that the turning point for me came um, the very first weekend in March when, um, you know, there was you were starting to hear more and more of concerns in the region. And I was talking with other superintendents around, um, you know, could a closure be coming for us, which even then still seemed a little bit, you know, outrageous to me. Um, and then that Sunday, um, I don't know what, uh, I guess maybe the 8th, 7th or 8th, uh, when I saw that Milan and Venice had gone into quarantine or lockdown, I mean, you know, my gut just told me, well, that's coming our way. I mean, you know, we can't be this sort of hot spot, if you will, um, and, and not do something similar. So following sort of that gut instinct, which I think as leaders, we have to follow once in a while. And sometimes we're right and sometimes we're wrong. I uh, talked to my chief operating officer and said, let's get, let's put in the order for the grab and go meals. I talked to my chief academic officer and said, okay, let's start getting the packets ready because I think closure is imminent. Now at that point, the governor hadn't made the proclamation and none of our districts except for one North shore, which was very early in closure had made the decision to close. But, um, by, uh, Tuesday of that week, uh, so just a couple days later, um, the two largest districts in Washington state, Seattle and Lake Washington had made the decision to close because of, um, various circumstances, but namely cases that were happening in the district and their concern, their growing concern that they wouldn't be able to staff, right? That people would be, you know, that we couldn't allow people who are at risk to work and people would be getting sick. My colleagues and I here in South King County agreed that we wouldn't be able to stay open either. Um, and so we made the decision that Wednesday, the 11th, um, to close in a phone call that day with the governor and superintendents from the region and our state superintendent you know we really urged the governor to issue the proclamation um but he said he wouldn't he had to think about it wouldn't do it to the next day well he did do it the next day but it wasn't until the afternoon and this posed a challenge for us in highline because uh friday was a non-student day for us and that meant that our students would go home on thursday and not come back for six to eight weeks now, of course, that's through the end of the year. At the time, we thought it was a minimum six to eight weeks. And given that many of our students um, are very connected to their school as a lifeline for them, right? Whether it's their connection with their teachers and staff, their friends, their meals, what have you, uh, I felt it would be incredibly traumatizing for our students to be sent home and not be told what was happening. So we quickly issued that morning um, talking points for our teachers and principals to use with students that day and went to them and said, you need to end instruction early on Thursday and talk with students about what's happening and why and give them a chance to say goodbye and process. So we did that. 
And so March 12th was the last day that we had our students in buildings. And from then we quickly transitioned to providing meals that Monday, putting together hard copy packets um, and getting our distance learning plan up and running. And um, that is where we are today. So yeah, and I, and I continue to think about the big priority of, of feeding kids and as being like, yeah, that, and that, that, that logistics and everything that goes with that. So I, I just, I'm so impressed with the way that uh, districts around the world are really dealing with that yeah. uh, preeminent issue. Yeah. If I'm a teacher in Highline, what's my job right now? Mm-hmm. Um, job number one is to take care of yourself and your family. Right. So it's that put your own oxygen mask on first. Right. I, I preach uh, health and family first and I've never preached it more loudly than I than I am now. Um, second is connect with your students and families. Um, our expectation is that our teachers and staff are connecting with students and families um, a couple of times a week. And we define connection as two way. So we want to make sure that our teachers and other staff, principals, counselors, have heard back from students and families as well. And so that connection piece and checking in and making sure that everyone's okay is job number one. And then we have put out um, really clear guidelines and expectations for what instruction looks like. So we are focusing on asynchronous instruction, right? Not everybody coming together at one time for a lesson, just because that's not the reality that many of our families are facing. So we're asking um, for you know one to two assignments per week that students can be working on um, and just that constant checking in I will tell you as I'm sure you know Dean you know on social media and in other ways watching how our teachers are connecting with kids how they're getting creative at, at keeping students engaged and connected it's it's really really a wonderful thing to, to watch um, and, and I will say too heartbreaking at the same time you know our teachers uh, we all we miss our kids um, and I know that our teachers are doing wonderful work and I know it's also very emotionally taxing for them because they know that um, some of our students are harder to um, connect with than others um, given their circumstances and what's going on and just knowing that our students miss being at school too but um, I would say health connection and teaching is are really the three priorities for our teachers in Highline right now. So while I'm I'm always a little a little um, cautious to to look at this situation from a what is it that we can learn from it? Just because you know it's 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 a crisis and and not everything is um, you know is about research or whatever. At the same time, can you think about like? Because again, I just mentioned the equity thing, and I know that's a big part of what you do. Is there anything that you've already sort of at this point said you've learned or has been exposed as saying, ooh, I didn't realize this was as big of a thing as it was, or I didn't even know this was a thing. And, and when I say a thing, something that you're going to have to address at some point in the future, if, it, if not now, like down the road, we got we to gotta think about this because I didn't realize this was as big of a concern sure. or a gap as, as you've seen. I, w- I would say I would say that it has amplified a lot of what we already knew, and so I think the most glaring example is internet access, right? So I will tell you that many of my colleagues across the country are advocating very loudly 
um, that internet, home internet access be a part of basic education? Because here's the thing, Dean, I and I think many others believe that this distance or remote learning is now a part of, of traditional K-12 education in some way, shape, or form moving forward. Um, it's likely that in the fall we'll have to come back in some kind of a blended model. We're also hearing the possibility of, the, of another outbreak and us having to go to uh, distance or remote learning again. So the reality is that um, at least probably 25% of my students do not have reliable home internet access. And without that, they cannot connect with their teachers and their learning. And therefore, they are not able to access the free appropriate public education that they are entitled to in the United States. This is a problem. This is a huge problem, and it's 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 been a, it was a problem before now, Dean. Right, but now it's not a boy. It would be nice if every kid were connected. Right. Now I believe it's a matter of every kid has to be connected if this is how they're going to access their learning. So I would say that that's that's the biggest thing. And and along with that, I think too is 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 not only from a, a you know a necessity uh, element. I think we're going to have we're going to find that kids, you know, particularly in high school and so forth, they're saying well, maybe I'd like to do this remotely because they're finding advantages to it and and uh, and it should be given an option to some kids that maybe, you know, like you said, I, I'm sure out of this, we're going to find districts who are going to explore, well, maybe our high school kids only need to come to school four days a week or whatever. I, I completely, I mean, and here's here's my hope. I certainly hope that we get to a place where we can have those real conversations and not just, we've floated those ideas before, but they've always right. been a little pie in the sky. Now, I think we need to have them like as, as a very realistic option. And here's the other thing, Dean, that I don't think we're talking enough about. I'm trying to float it in every sort of podcast interview that I, I have. Yes, I, I believe that for some students, um, this is working beautifully. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. think about it. If you're a student for and maybe at this point in your life, you're having health issues or anxiety issues and being at school was a challenge. And now I can learn from home. It's beautiful. And there are some students for whom this isn't working. Um, but here's the thing. That's also true for our teachers and staff. So we're finding that some of our teachers are just I mean, they were made for this. Right. That this sort of this distance learning, they're brilliant at it. And I think some would say you can have it. I need to get back into my classroom with my kids. So I think that one of the really interesting things that I don't know how this plays out is how do we talk about sort of the role of teacher as changing yeah. as well? Are we going to need a cadre of, you know, distance learning teaching experts, right? And that's all they do. Um, and, and then our inter, because I think, I think it's going to be a lot of us to ask of our teachers and staff, and this includes our paraeducators, our counselors, our principals, to, to do equally, do both equally well. Right. And so I think that, that we are going to have to have um, some serious conversation around what that looks like. But I think that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And it, no question. It's 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 exposing people's strengths and, and, yeah. uh, and weaknesses and, and people yeah. need to be able to reflect on that and, and not feel any kind of certainly not feel any shame or anything around that because this wasn't something they asked to do. You got um, it but they're exactly. finding it. And, and it brings me to the, you know, and I wrote a blog post yesterday and I'm thinking more about this as it, it, this is almost, you know, and in, 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 uh, when I, it's doing two things. One, if you're a teacher, um, and especially if you're a teacher and a parent, those worlds are more blurred than ever, right? Because what am I doing? Am I, am I working? Am I, am yeah. I parenting? What, what am I doing right now? Right. So yeah. there's that. But at the same time, I think what it's separated in, in my mind anyways, is it's, it's separated the learning for sure 
and this notion of school as, as community, right? Because that's the part that we just don't have anymore. And it, it makes me think about that actually what's, that's school's unfair advantage because the learning can happen at home. It can happen anywhere and it's going to happen, whether it's good learning, bad learning or other, that right. will happen. Learning happens all the time. It happened before we had schools, right? People learned 300 years ago when there was no school, people were still learning. But what, what is school then, right? School is this, this place where people have a sense of belonging, a sense of community. And, and when you talk to most kids right now, uh, yes, there are the odd kid that's going to say, hey, this is great. I'm learning all this stuff. But what kids are missing, they're friends. They're missing being part of something. Well, so and, I, yeah. and, and my question, my question that I'll just pose to you or let you respond to is how do we come fall or whenever double down on that message? Because I think that's something that I don't think we've always understood as being our advantage because we've we've wanted to do the learning, which is not obviously that's what we do. But how do we say this is this is community? This is being together. Yeah, it's a really good question, Dean. And I've thought a lot about that, too. And in fact, I'll go back to this notion of broadband access, Internet connection. To me, it's about it's not just about the learning. It's about the connection. And it's about students knowing that their school community still exists, that we are still here and we are going to be here because as we all know, I think it's true for all human beings, but I think especially for children, they need routine, they need predictability, right? They need to know that they can count on something. And there's so much uncertainty right now that the more that we can tell them, your school community remains intact. Now we're not physically together, but we are still together and we will come back together physically at some point. Um, and I agree with you. I think that one of the things that we're thinking a lot about in Highline is as we prepare to return to school, because we will, you know, we don't know when and we don't know what it will look like, but we will. Uh, I think there's going to be a need for, yes, acknowledging the importance of school community, but then also providing a lot of emotional support for students and staff to reacclimate to right, to being in that community, because routines will have been lost, in some cases for some of our children, um, progress will have been lost around how they interact with their peers, um, that sort of thing, we're going to have to support that, and frankly, you know, our teachers and staff are going to need a lot of emotional support too, because, um, you know, they will have their own personal issues that they will be dealing with. And then they will be facing, yes, the excitement of seeing their students again. And then the reality of what some of those students have lost, right, over these last several months. And that will take a toll. That will take a toll on, on them. So we're trying to figure out. And of course, the, the real challenge here is, Dean, we're going to have to provide those extra supports with fewer resources because the budget cuts are coming. Um, and so I'm not exactly sure how we're going to do it but we have to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. And that's, that's something that, you know, people, um, you know, they're trying to do one day at a time. And, and so I understand that, but I know people in your position also are thinking about the future. And that is one of those really tough ones because, you know, and especially, especially if we are uh, combining this mm -hmm. idea of fewer resources with potentially uh, some rethought, ways of doing things like what does professional development look like for the teacher that now has to that we want things done differently because there will be that idea of differently so that yeah you you raise a lot of oh, okay <laughs> these yeah. are big questions for people to have <laughs> to solve so let me leave you with one last one last thought a little bit more from an optimistic perspective and you mentioned 
kind of already like you hope that that we get more serious about some of these equity issues around uh, broadband access and so forth. But other than than that, can you think of like what else else do you sort of hope that comes out of this that you said this would be great if this helps us get better at or change completely transform like what what, what other kind of hopes do you have from this? Um, so number so I hope that um, the ways in which we as school district staff, but especially our teachers and principals and counselors, the way we interact with families fundamentally changes forever in that it becomes a more organic, natural thing, not the forced, formal, you know, parent-teacher conference and all that. But I think what we're seeing is a need for families need to connect with the teachers for some guidance, and teachers really need to connect with the families to make sure that kids are getting what they need. I think that's one of the best things that could come out of all of this. Um, so that's one thing. I think the second thing, obviously, connecting all kids. I've I've given you my soapbox moment on that, so that's huge. But I think the the third thing, and I alluded to this before, um, I, I think we have an opportunity to um, grapple with some of the sacred cows in public education that we tend to shy away from. So whether it's a longer school day, whether it's year-round school, whether it's a different schedule for high school kids, you're right. As, does a high school senior need to be sitting in a classroom five days a week? Or should they be out doing community-based internships and, and that sort of work? Um, and what about the role of the teacher? You know, can we finally have a real conversation around the fact that teaching shouldn't look the same everywhere, not even in, in one district? We should have differentiated roles for teachers. And, and I think that that needs to be part of the conversation too. So I think there's tremendous opportunity that can, can, can come out of all of this. And I will say, while I'm hopeful for all that, I'm also incredibly realistic around the challenges that we are facing moving forward. Um, the next, you know, couple of years are going to be rough from a budget perspective. And then, you know, as a result, from a level of support perspective of what we can do for our kids and families. But the reality is that those of us in public education have been here before, not exactly in a moment like this, but we've faced tough budget times before we face other things and we've gotten through it and we're going to get through this. And Frankly, I would say that some of the greatest reasons to hope and be optimistic are coming from our school systems right now across the country. I don't think the best examples of leadership are being seen from the federal level or even the state level. I think they're being seen at the local level in the way that my fellow superintendents are stepping up in the way that our teachers are stepping up, our principals, our counselors, our paraeducators, our community members. I mean, that's where it's really happening. And to watch the Highline community come together and just collectively wrap our arms around our kids at this time is, is, a, is a beautiful thing. And so in my dark moments, and like you, I have them, you know, some days are harder than others. I, I reflect on how grateful I am to be in Highline at this moment in time with this community. Um, and, and if anybody can find the answers to these big questions that you and I have wrestled with today, it's our team here in, in Little Burien, Washington. Well, I am, I am truly grateful for leaders like you, who I have full confidence in. And again, I know uh, that, that, that one of the things that we're seeing is at this time is really uh, testing what our values are, right? People can talk yeah. about relationships. They can talk about all kinds of things. Uh, but then now actually we're going to find out, is this yep. really what you value or not? And so uh, I know that, that and I'm, I'm so uh, grateful to have uh, people like you, uh, uh, part of my network that are doing these things that I can point to and have the confidence to know that, uh, uh, while it's not going to be pretty, not going to be easy. Uh, there's people here that, that have 
that have the right priorities in place and have the right um, uh, believe in, in, in team and the collective um, care and knowledge of, of education in general. I think, I think we, we continue to see that we're in one of the best professions uh, in, in terms of uh, Amen to that. You know, goodness. So anyways, thank you for all that you do and uh, good luck with everything. Thank and you. we'll be watching closely. Thank you for sharing the things that are happening at Highline. And uh, one day we'll fly into Seattle yes, and I'll come will. visit you. And we will welcome you with open arms. Until then, you stay safe, healthy, and strong. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.